church where it's predominantly a lot of older people that are there. And he, um, he said this man came in. They live in Detroit. This man came in kind of rough and gruff off the streets. Uh, but the man had been saved. I don't remember how long ago. He had been walking with God for a while. And uh, he came in the church and he was thrilled to see that there was other people that wanted to preach the Bible, wanted to teach the Bible, wanted to walk in the truth. And he said, they're singing songs. And uh, I wish I could remember the exact phrase. He said it made people so uncomfortable. But he said, I looked at that man's face and he said he had the glow of God all over him. But he just kept saying he would laugh and he would say, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. And he couldn't stop himself. And he said, I looked over at him and he said, I remember what it was like when I first got saved. He said it was just like that guy. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I didn't have culture. I had nothing. (laughs) I just had Jesus. And uh, he said to me, you know what? The Lord talked with me and said, forget all that refined culture stuff. He said, if you lose what that guy has, forget it. May God help us, right? May God help us to have reality. And if people think we're strange because we know who God is and we love him and we walk with him, let them think we're strange. I just want Jesus. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles here to Hebrews chapter 8. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. We had a little break at Christmas and New Year's. And I'm skipping uh, large portions uh, out of these past couple chapters because they all lead up to this particular point. This particular verse that we're going uh, to look at right now sums up these previous verses from the last place that we had been at, which was the introduction of a better hope. Now we're looking at verse 13 of chapter 8 of Hebrews. And it says... In that he saith, that is God, a new covenant, he hath made the first, the first covenant, old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth waxeth old is ready to vanish away. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the 6th verse, you can turn there if you'd like, but I'm just going to read this verse quickly. It's told us Christ, God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Father, we do thank Thee that the Spirit gives life. We thank thee that, Lord, you make this book, this Bible that you've preserved for thousands of years alive and we hear God through it. We pray thee, O Lord, that once again this morning that we'll hear you as we're looking into the word because we know that the letter kills, but we are well aware that the spirit gives life. So, Lord, we pray give life this morning in Jesus name. Amen. I want to start by saying. The first covenant was a valid covenant. There is teaching in this present day that we're in the new covenant now. You don't need to worry about that Old Testament. Some people don't even read the Old Testament. That is foolishness, by the way. 
Of course, we're not sacrificing animals and all those things as they were back then, but that old covenant was valid. And Jesus even came and he said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. In other words, the heart of everything that was there in the Old Testament is now made possible because of the salvation that's brought through me. So now instead of covenanting in this manner and laying out the sacrifices to get rid of your sins and that ceremonial manner to be right with God, here's the fulfillment. It's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So that old covenant's valid. It's not something that we throw out in the garbage. But we're told here in Hebrews that the new covenant has replaced the old covenant so far as the things of salvation are concerned. And in this respect, it's said in another place in Scripture that that old covenant had a certain glory in it, but this covenant exceeds in glory because now we have God in the flesh in the man Christ Jesus, and he can dwell in our hearts. Whereas in the old covenant, it was like that. So we've got a blessed and glorious privilege in this particular day to be taking hold of the covenant of Christ, the new covenant, which has replaced the old covenant, far exceeds it in power and in glory. <clears throat> I'd like to peer back just in the Old Testament a little bit, uh, talking about the blessings upon Mount Gerizim, and the curse upon Mount Ebal, which was in Deuteronomy, the 27th chapter, right before Moses was about to die, the Lord had let him know he's about to die. And Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means the second law, given the second time. They already had the law in Exodus, but Moses was about to depart from this earth, and he spoke these things once more before he departed, and everything was transferred down to Joshua. And it says this in Deuteronomy 27, 12 through 14. These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people when ye are come over Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin. And these shall stand upon Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad and Asher and Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice. What will happen here? Some people are on the Mount of Blessing. Some people are on the Mount of Curse. And the Levites, the priests, were down in the valley in the middle. And they would pronounce these curses from these mountaintops against one another, speaking these things back and forth. It is worthy to note, or interesting to note, that as we look there, there is one place in this particular chapter in between 27 and 28, there's one place where there's a chunk of 12 curses, then after that, a chunk of 27 curses. So 12 and 27 is then, how oh, have to do the math here, 39. 39 curses, right? Blessings that were pronounced 11. I don't, I don't know what that does for you, but it seems to me that God has an awful lot more warning sent out than he does anything else. Why is that? Could it be because we need it more? We need a lot more of that, that warning. We need to understand that there's a curse that's here. And we need to get, it, it almost needs to surround us so that we say, whoa, I got to stay away from here and get close to God, right? I don't know. But then at the end of chapter 28, there was a prophecy of Israel's actual cursing. God said, choose who you're going to walk with this day. Choose which covenant you're going to go with, the covenant of your own making or the covenant of the God of heaven. And these people, sad to say, God already knew and Moses already knew that they weren't going to walk with God and the curses were going to be theirs. So there you have it. 
cursings from one mountain, blessings from another, right? And it, we're told later, uh, well, and I'll get to that, so let me hang on. We move then to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah that said, then said I, woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We see right there the result of his sin being found out. But it almost appeared to be, at least for a moment, there was no help, right? Because he felt the curse of God upon him. He felt the force of the holiness of God upon him. And at that point, what am I going to do? I'm undone. This problem's been all through the ages, by the way. This problem of the blessings and of the cursings and trying to do better and knowing that the wrong is wrong and trying to shun it and trying to walk in the right ways, this has been happening throughout all ages. We see that tension in the book of Galatians. He said, when you got saved, how did you begin in this walk? Did you do it by the works of the law, trying to obey all the law to the T? Is that how you got saved? And they would have said, no, by faith we got saved. And he said, do you think then if you got saved by faith, you're going to then perfect yourself through the works of the flesh? In other words, through your own human self-effort, you're going to make yourself holier than you were when you entered in by faith? He said, no. Romans, we look in it, same problem going on. A church made up of Gentile and Jew, and the Jews were expelled for a little while because of an edict that they had to leave. So the Gentile portion of the church grew up pretty strong when that edict passed and the king was out, or the, the uh, governor was out, and those Jews came back in. There was a real tension between law and grace in these, in these people's hearts and lives. So we find that. Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? Remember the Jews in the beginning are saying, we've got the law of God, but these Gentiles out here are far without God and with all sin. And Paul leveled them both to the ground. And he said, you're both in need of the Savior. You both need this new covenant salvation. You're under the law and you weren't under the law, but you're both guilty because of the law. So here we find that same tension, law and grace, old and new covenant. Then we look in the book of James, still the same tension. Some people are saying, I've got faith. And they live like a bunch of heathens. And James says, wait a second. If you have faith, then there should be a result here. Your faith should work. So we find that law and grace works and faith. We find that going throughout all the Old Testament. We find that some people grabbed hold of that grace of God where the many didn't know. We find that it happened in the New Testament era. And if you read church history, it goes throughout all church history just the same. And it still happens to this present day. So I want to then help as we're looking at this particular verse that we read in Hebrews, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. I want to speak about the difference between these two covenants in their essence, the difference of these two covenants in their function, and the difference of these two covenants in their application. So what is the essence of these two covenants? Well, let's look at the old covenant. The old covenant was really on the plane of law. Here's God's law. Here's what you must do. Here's the rules, right? So with it being the law, we find then on the plane of law that there is works that are involved here, don't we? 
You've got to do something about this law. You've got to obey it. And God incited them many times to do so. You either live by the law or die under it. If you live by the law, there is blessing given to you by God himself. If you turned your back on it, the curses fell on you, right? So it was on the plane of law. We look in the New Testament and the essence of this new covenant is there's a plane of life. The plane of law versus the plane of life. And the life is the son of God within the breast of anyone who's entered into this new covenant relationship with God. The essence of it is love. Love is the motivating power. Love is the power that put Christ on the cross for the joy that was set before him. For the love of God in his own heart, he was God, but for the love of his own heart, there he endured the bloody cross. There he bought yours and mine redemption. This is on a plane of life. This love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, this grace that comes down from heaven through this new covenant is the enablement of God. Whereas in the old covenant, there was no enablement. Then we look inside of the old covenant and we're told the old covenant was bondage. Bondage. Why? Well, even Peter said it. We were bound by these things. God forbid we tell these other Gentiles to be under this curse that we couldn't even stand up under. And we're told in Galatians that Sinai, which is the symbol of God's law, where God came down on the Mount Sinai, gendereth to bondage is what we're told. And Hagar, which they were using symbology there, was that symbol of that old covenant, that bondage, the fruit of the flesh. In other words, that human effort and that human understanding. We see that going throughout the Old Testament as well. There was that which was of the promise and there was that which was of the law or of the works of human power, right? But when we look inside of the New Testament, instead of bondage, we find liberty. Here's the essence of the new covenant, liberty. What do you mean liberty? Free to do whatever you want? No, free from sin, free to live a holy life, free to walk out the law of God because it's inside my heart. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage was do this and thou shalt live. The gospel liberty is live and thou shalt do this, right? God help us, but that's where we're at. It's liberty in this new covenant. Later in that same chapter, he said, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, and here's the warning that should be sounded off from every pulpit in the United States. Ye have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The cry of liberty across Christendom in these particular days is, I'm free to live however I want. God's a God of love, and he won't judge me. This book, Galatians, says differently. Don't use your liberty as an excuse for sin. Your liberty is freedom from it. And you have freedom from it, not because you obeyed the law, but because I believed on the name of the Son of God and he saved me and his life fell right down inside this old heart of mine and cleaned it up and changed it. And I don't even understand how it worked, but it did, right? There's liberty then we look into the old again. We see in the Old Testament, the old man, right? The old person, 
The one who is trying with all their own strength and might to obey God and do what God said in being miserable because they were always keenly aware of their shortcoming and failure. When we look into the new covenant, we see that there is a new creature. A new creature. Instead of an old man, a new creature. Created anew after the image of him who died on the cross, went down into the belly of hell and rose again. And you and I can be buried with him and have new life, a new creature. Also, we look in the Old Testament, we see that there was this rightness outwardly, right? You can obey the law outwardly. That's what they needed to do. But they were painfully aware that inwardly it wasn't lining up with what was going on on the outside. So I'm doing what God says on the outside, but inside I'm aware that there's a problem going on in here and I don't have power over that. But when we look into the New Testament, we see something entirely different. We see that there is a rightness inside first, then the outside of the cup's clean, right? God changes us from the, out, from the inside out. And when our heart is cleaned and washed and made right in the blood of Christ, you naturally start to look and live different because of the power of this new covenant through the gospel of Christ. We find that uh, in the Old Testament, the serving of God was done more for wages. Do this and you'll receive blessing, as I mentioned before, right? So the service is what I'm going to get out of this. The service is for fear of punishment. The service basically is you're a servant for hire. When you look into the new covenant, it's quite different. I serve because there's life in my breast. I serve because the risen Christ is dwelling inside of my heart. And I just find it springing up and out of me. It wasn't there before, but since I knelt down at the foot of his cross and I confessed my sins and repented of them all and he saved me and he lives with inside of me, now there's a life in me that serves because I want to. That's what any parent would love, to get inside of the heart of their child and make them want to do what's right, right? But we find that we can't do that. So we have to hem them in with a bunch of rules until there comes to be the time where there's a shift inside of them. And they, they, a submission is worked in their heart. Then they do it of their own accord because they want to. Where at first they do it because they have to, right? So we see the distinct difference there. This, we're serving because we're God's child. And because we know God loves us and I love him. There we find the difference in service. As was mentioned in that verse from 2 Corinthians, also the essence of the old covenant is the letter. Here's what God says. Here's all the laws. And we see the whole book of Deuteronomy. Can you imagine? From what I understand, that whole book of Deuteronomy is supposed to be one solid speech from Moses. Sit down and just see how long it takes you to read it. Then get an idea of having to stand up and talk to a million people. <laughs> that whole thing. And I don't know if everything that he said on that day is in that book. I have no idea. But there is a lot in that book of Deuteronomy, right? There's the letter. When we look into the new covenant, we see something different. The spirit. The spirit, remember the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. What's that mean? The spirit goes far beyond the letter. The spirit understands almost by flash of intuition what the heart of God is. And then you end up finding out as you're reading through the scripture, I'm already doing that. 
I've ar that's already happening here. I already love this and I already want it. I remember after I got saved, there was many times that happened and I didn't understand it, but I'd look inside of the scripture and I'd realize God already showed me that and I didn't know that. Why? Because the spirit was giving life to me and the spirit of life is breathed through the pages of the book when one is saved. All of a sudden, instead of a dead letter, it becomes a living, breathing word. It becomes Christ, the word, the living word, breathing into my soul his very truths so that in me, I'm just leavening the whole. It's filling up my whole person. Isn't that an awesome thought? Not just renewing my mind, but renewing my whole person. I'm a new man. I'm a different man because of the new covenant. The old covenant was shadows, types. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and it was temporary in its nature. However, the new covenant is different. Faith in this gospel, which is the good news of God, establishes all the types of the old covenant. It is a fulfillment of all the shadows and figures and it is the fulfillment of the teaching that was there in the old covenant to lead us to Jesus Christ. It is the everlasting gospel instead of the temporary old covenant. Those are the difference between the essences of the old and new. But now we want to look at the difference in their functions. What do they do? How do they work? This is taken by a lady. She was a Quaker lady, Hannah Whittall Smith. She wrote a book called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. But she made this duality, and I couldn't say it any better than she had. But here's the law versus the gospel. The old covenant versus the new covenant. And I'll read it to you this way. This do and thou shalt live, says the old. Live and then thou shalt do, says the new. Pay me that thou owest, says the old covenant. I frankly forgive thee all, says the new covenant. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, says the old covenant. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation for our sins, is the new covenant. The old covenant said, Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. In the new covenant it says, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's the essence or the function of the new covenant. The wages of sin is death, is the old covenant. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the new covenant. The law says do. The gospel gives holiness. The law exhorts or extorts the unwilling service of a bondman. The gospel says it's done inside of our heart. The law makes blessings the result of obedience. The gospel wins the loving service of a son and a free man. These things are awesome. There's distinct difference. And sometimes these lines are hard for us to distinguish there, but it is so huge, even though it looks so small, it changes everything. <clears throat> the law places the day of rest at the end of the week's worth, or, or excuse me, of the week's work on, this, on Saturday. The gospel places the Sabbath rest at the beginning of the week on the Lord's day. Isn't that awesome? Rest first, work later. Amen. I like that. Don't you? The law says if the gospel says, therefore, the law was given for the restraint of the old man. The gospel was given to bring liberty to the new man under the law. Salvation was wages under the gospel. Salvation is a free gift. 
Do you see the difference between this old and new covenant? There is a divine enablement and a divine power. All the law helped us to understand was our sinfulness and our problem. The law was just a bunch of rules for us to obey under the covenant. And at that time, that's how God had things. And we walked in that way. But the gospel and its function is to empower, to enable, to enlighten, to expand and to give us what we all together would long for, even men from the foundation. It said they were looking and peering in the future, waiting to see these things that you and I see. Now you and I have them. And they're in the bosom of God the Father, waiting for the return of Christ when everything gets swallowed all up and in, and all of it is fulfilled, and then they see it just like they were hoping to see it. The old covenant then exposes sin and gives us the knowledge of sin. The new covenant delivers us from all sin, and gives us power and victory to walk in holiness. Then the difference in application. We read in 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, that's what the law is for. And this is the thing, this is the cry against the church in these days. When somebody preaches the law, they say, don't preach like that. This is the gospel age. But we're told in the New Testament that the law has its function in these days. And it has its function towards those that are rebellious against God, towards those that are lawless and disobedient and sinning against God. The law is the thunder from Sinai to break up somebody's ease-loving life in their sin and help them to have a good, healthy dose of alarm because the law points you straight to where you're going if you don't come to the foot of the cross and enter the new covenant. The thing is, when somebody's a sinner, they don't have the blessings of the new covenant because they're not under it. They're under the old covenant until they come to the foot of the cross. And the old covenant is do this and thou shalt live. Don't do it and thou shalt surely die. God has made a function for these two covenants. In the old covenant, we read in James 2.10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Wow. Galatians 3, 10 through 11 says, For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident. All it is is to show the curse of sin in our lives. The law, in other words, brings conviction to souls that are not partaking of that new covenant and do not have the grace and power of God in their lives that has freed them from it. It brings conviction. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The law is like the surgeon's knife that goes in and makes the incision and pulls the cancer out of my breast. Well, Christ pulls the cancer out of the breast. The law is the knife, right? It has, it has a purpose, right? We're talking about the application here. In the New Testament, remember it said, whosoever, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. In that same chapter, James says this, speaking of the new covenant, so speak ye and so do 
as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. By the law of liberty. In other words, you and I will never reach the perfection of the paradise of God before Adam and Eve ever sinned. You and I will never reach that by just walking in obedience to laws and rules. It'll never happen. And you and I will never reach that solely because sin has already entered this world and we're waiting for God to come here and wipe this whole place up, clean it up, and make a new one. And then it'll be like the paradise of God restored, right? He's telling us, don't walk under the law like that, but walk as being judged under the perfect law of liberty. The law of liberty. What is that? The freedom from sin in Christ. It's not about trying to just line up and make sure everything's just all this. It's looking up to him. And when I look up to him and I love him and I have faith in him and walk, he gives me that fulfillment of that law. I actually am obeying it the way he's intended because his life is within me. There is no excuse for sin in any of this. It's the empowerment that you and I live above sin and sin's awful essence, which is rebellion against God. When Jesus saves a man, he takes that old man that's in our own breast and he kicks him right off the throne and says, I'm going to be king now. That guy, and I'm just personifying it for our understanding, that guy marches around the outside waiting for an opportunity when he can somehow try and ascend onto the throne again. And if you and I aren't careful and we don't stay prayed up, we can say that there's a day that we got saved, but I want to tell you, if you don't stay close to God and that old man's marching around the outside trying to gain ascendancy, you'll find that you'll backslide and just like Samson, the power of God will withdraw and you won't even know it. That happens. I've seen it happen in many people's lives. It's awful reality, but it is true. But here's the thing. If we're looking to Jesus, trying to be judged by the perfect law of liberty from sin, that conscious knowing of liberty and freedom from sin and God, it's wonderful. My heart's open. I'm a child of God and he speaks to me and helps me to understand when I'm walking in a way that's not pleasing him, I suddenly feel a restraint inside and I think, wait a second. And I may not even understand everything that's going on, but he says, my child, don't do that. Come back here. And I don't have to say, well, Lord, why? Sometimes we like to say, why? Why can't I do that? It's not necessarily wrong, but he wants obedience first. He wants to say, okay, Lord, a little later, we might start to realize why he said, don't do that. And we go, oh, but we were ignorant then. We were like little babies. We didn't get it. You tell a baby, don't touch the stove. I say that to my youngest son. Whenever we tell him, don't do something, he goes, why? Why? And then I said, now why? Yes, Papa. Okay, Papa. And then he goes on merrily. He's not sitting there pining away because I didn't tell him why, right? He does ask it an awful lot. <laughs> He'll understand later, though, why I told him not to touch the stove because it's hot and it's going to burn him. But I can't tell him that now. He won't get it. So being judged by that perfect law of liberty. And then in Galatians 3, 11 through 13, the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. The curse has been laid on Christ. So when you and I have faith in him, we get on top of the curse. And you and I have freedom over sin. We have victory over sin. And we have the life of God inside of our breast. We, in other words, have real salvation in the new covenant. Amen. 
Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Meaning, there was a point where they believed and they continue on believing. It is the power of God to everyone that believes like that. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the one that's stuck in the bondage of a legal kind of manner of life or to the one that's so ignorant of it, it doesn't matter. That gospel is the power to save both of them and make them new creatures in Christ and give them victory over sin and have Jesus Christ live inside them and the world around us trying to look upon us and understand what is going on with these people. Why are they like this? They're altogether different. They're strange, and yet there's a strange magnetism to them because there's something in there that resonates with my own breast because God's put eternity in my heart. And I realize that something of eternity is inside that person. And that something of eternity is God himself dwelling inside of a believer. We also, we look at this then, thinking about the difference in the application. A normal Christian lives like this. A normal Christian is right. They want to walk right. They want to do right. They walk in liberty. They're free from sin. They have continual victory, just marching onward and on they go. It's not a life of sin and good and sin and good and sin and good and sin and good, back and forth, back and forth. That's not the salvation. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He crucified, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. He wants to wipe it all clean and make us like himself. So a real Christian does live a right life, walks in liberty, free from sin and victory. They're right inside and because of that, they're right outside. So we don't try to live the gospel. That's a huge fallacy and mistake. We believe the gospel because the word gospel is good news. Can I obey good news? I don't know, maybe. But I can certainly believe the good news. That's good news. Wonderful. Thanks for telling me, right? So don't try to live the gospel. Believe the gospel. The gospel's not a way of life. It's a message. It's a message of hope to you and I, and it's not a way of life. It's the entrance of life into yours and my heart. So do not have being a better Christian as your aim. Aim at your love relationship with the Lord himself. Make him be all your joy, all your glory, all your focus, all your thoughts. When you look at him like that, you're not going to have to be worrying about trying to be a better Christian you're going to be more like whoever you hang around. You're going to be more like whatever you're looking at, right? It's the same thing. I've seen that before. We don't have a television inside of our home, but we've been at other places. My, I think my son he had to get uh, dental work done. I don't know if they had a TV on the ceiling or somewhere around there where he could. Okay, he said he has TV on the ceiling. He saw, I don't know what, like five minutes of something. And he starts talking about all this crazy stuff. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, and he starts describing all these things to a perfect description and T and all that. And then sometimes they start acting like some of the things they saw on there. Whatever this character said or did or however they acted, they start doing that. Why? That's the influence. And whatever we're, whoever we're spending most time with, wherever we're looking, that's where we're going, right? So when we look up to Christ, we don't have to have the aim of being a better Christian. I want to have the aim of loving him more. When I love him more, the result is, I am a better Christian. Isn't that awesome? Your faith will make you whole, Jesus says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's all you've got to have is grab hold of that truth, believe it, and when you believe it, you'll be different.
So what do we need to know by all this? There's the old covenant. And he said, there's an old covenant and that's being replaced. Here comes this new covenant. Out with the old and in with the new, says the writer of Hebrews. So what are we supposed to do? Examine our motives, first of all. Here's something practical. When we pray, the Bible talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? So naturally we think, I've got to be more fervent, right? I've got to really just boost this thing up and get this going. But examine your motive when that comes into your mind and comes into your heart. Fervent prayer? Am I praying more fervently so that God will hear me? Or am I praying more fervently because I know God's already listening? That's a huge difference. If I'm praying more fervently because I think maybe he's hard of hearing, I've already got it wrong. God's not hearing me because I'm louder or more excited. He's hearing me because I'm right and because I'm walking with him. And if I'm right and walking with him, the true fervency or earnesty of spirit is real. I just desire the things that he desires. Sometimes that comes with heaving and sighs and cries. Sometimes it just comes with this long-standing burden that I can't get out of my mind. And it's always on my thoughts. It's consuming me day after day after day. So why are you praying more fervently? Examine that. Remember, we're talking about old and new covenant. The new covenant says, inside you have the knowledge that you're the child of God and he's your father. So he's already listening. If I'm just praying fervently because of what's already there in my breast, wonderful. We're living in the new covenant. But if I'm trying to pray more fervently because I believe God won't hear me unless I do, then I'm slipping backwards and I'm not going the way of this new covenant of grace and faith and power. Examine our motives with Bible reading. Do I read my Bible because I'm afraid if I don't, God's going to whack me with a stick? Because that's bondage. Or do I read my Bible because I love God and want to spend time with him? There's a huge difference there. God help us. Examine your motives in service. Do I go out talking to other people about Jesus? Do I witness to other people so that I appear earnest or spiritual? Because if I'm not doing that, I'm not really a real Christian. Or am I out talking with people and telling them about Jesus because Jesus saved me and I all of a sudden now want them to know the same Christ I do. There's a huge difference. And we can shake our heads and we can say amen and I appreciate that. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Because these things, they, they pierce into the inmost part of our Christian life all the time. Those, those motives that are so close and yet so polar opposite are within our reach every single time you and I go about praying, reading our Bible, talking to other people about Jesus or Christian service at all. So we've got to be careful. Am I doing these things out of faith or am I doing it because I'm trying to please God because, and the thing is, those lines blur together so much, it's almost hard to distinguish. Because like James said, if you have faith, it's gonna work. You're going to do these things. But once we work so that then we have God's blessing, we start to twist this around. We've got to get the life in us first. G.D. Watson wrote a book called Love and Duty. He was a holiness evangelist, and he wrote a book called Love and Duty where he talked about that duality within inside of our breasts. The duality of duty, 
which is that principle of doing what's right because it's right and who cares? We just have to do it. And then the principle of love that incidentally does the things it should do, but the wellspring and motive of it is vastly different. Those two things do need to be carefully balanced in our breast, but the ascendancy of all things should be the power of the life of the Son of God inside of my breast. That should be the wellspring and motive. The old covenant has passed away with all its sacrifices, washings, and even trying to be saved by obedience to the law. It's old because there has been the dawning of the new through the day spring and the bright and morning star, which is Jesus himself. The letter is good for the head and it can eventually break up the heart. And that's why it's told us the letter killeth. It really does that. But... And it kills all sin if we'll let it. But the Spirit's what's going to raise us up and give us life, right? The Spirit of God, given through the Son of God by the good news of the gospel, raises us up out of the death. It gives us a vibrancy and a reality and a faith and something worth living for. When we know the life of God inside of us, when we have that new covenant relationship, it's far better than anything you and I could do by just trying to do our duty. If we are people only of the letter, we will be dead indeed. If we go beyond, however, the sacred page, we will find the God that breathed the letter and is still breathing his breath through it into the heart of every single believing soul. You and I can experience God instead of just trying to assuage his wrath. That breath of God can dwell in our hearts throughout our days because Christ is made to us the living word. In the gospel, law and grace are perfectly wedded, being established through faith in the only begotten Son of God. So as we started in the beginning, in Hebrews chapter 8, and that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. So let me ask you this question. Where are you this morning? Are you living in the new covenant privilege, the new covenant power, the new covenant grace, the new covenant love? Or are you living under the legal bondage and you don't know what the grace of God really is inside of your heart and life? It's huge. Are you a Christian that's been saved and like the Galatians are trying to perfect that which begun in the spirit by your own human power? If you are, stop. Put your faith in the new covenant. Put your faith in the risen son of God and the same way that you entered into this Christian life, the same way he will perfect you and give you a holy heart. It'll be because of the power of the son of God and because of faith in him. And when that happens, your life will be a bright shining example and you will be far from a lazy Christian. You will be working, but you'll be working in the power of God's spirit and the life of God will be breathing through you throughout wherever you, you reach as a human being. May God help us. May God also help us to realize that this gospel is not a cheap gospel. It's not a gospel that has no rule or law. For Paul said, I'm not, when I'm around some people that are under the law, I act like I'm under the law. When I'm with other people that are without the law, I act like people without the law. And then he said this, but not without the law of Christ. That helps us to realize something. We're under the law of love to Christ. I do not want to sin. I don't want to offend him. I love him. I have no desire 
to go back in those things. I don't need a rule book. I hate sin. I love Jesus Christ. So this gospel isn't cheap. It is the blessed hope for the soul that is buried under failure that's buried under that weakness and feels like I hate this with all my passion, but I can't get on top of it. The new covenant's for that person. The new covenant reaches in and says, I can give you that power to live the way your heart longs and desires to do. If you just bow at the feet of my son, he'll enter your life and he'll enter your heart. He'll make you a new creature and he'll give you himself. And when we have him, it makes all the difference in the world. May God help us, each and every one, to be walking in our new covenant.